Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 168. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to celebrate the fifth anniversary of Moana. We were so excited when this movie came out because right before Moana came out, we had gotten married, so it's also our five-year anniversary, and we honeymooned in Hawaii. So for us, we were like, it was like the stars had aligned and like Disney had made a movie specifically for you and I, and we were very excited about that. We also had like an amazing run with our big Disney trips preceding a big Thanksgiving weekend release. Yeah. We had Muppets back in 2011 for our first trip. We had Frozen. So we were so hyped for this movie. And especially, too, because purely by coincidence, when we were in Hawaii, uh, they had carvings done on necklaces. Yeah. And... It just so happened that the shapes that we picked were the hook because you liked what that represented. Yeah. And I picked the spiral. And I remember we sat down in the movie theater to watch this and they get through the opening sequence and the hook and the spiral drop into the water and the opening credits roll. And I went, oh, my God, this is our movie. This is so amazing. The question is, did we feel that way for the rest of the movie, or did that only last in the opening credits? This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. And Sean, if you do not do this plot in the stylings of Olaf... Oh, we're going to oh have words. <laughs> we're going to have words. Oh, if you haven't seen Olaf Presents yet. Please do yourself a favor. Wait till after you finish listening to this and then go watch it. On the island of Matanui, we learn of Tefiti, a goddess who has brought life to the ocean. Maui, a demigod, takes the heart of Tefiti, who disintegrates, and Maui is attacked by the demon Taka, who causes Maui to lose his magical fish hook as well as the heart of Tefiti in the ocean. Many years later, the ocean chooses the young Moana to return the heart of Tefiti, but her father, Chief Tui, takes her away, causing her to drop the heart. But thankfully, her grandmother is standing there, unbeknownst to Moana, sees the whole thing and hangs on to the heart for herself. As she grows up, he does everything in his power to train her to be the next chief while also keeping Moana from uh, exploring beyond the reef. He doesn't want anybody venturing out on the water and going out beyond the reef. Well, Moana's mother tells Moana that the chief once ventured out past the reef, but his best friend who was with him drowned after their boat capsized. Meanwhile, crops on the island continue to die, and it appears the fish have died off as well, 
But Tui remains stubborn and refuses to listen to Moana and her suggestions, mostly that they should try fishing beyond the reef. We learn that the people of Matanui were once voyagers, but the practice was retired and their history was hidden after boats were lost at sea. As the chief continues to shoot Moana down and forbid her to voyage past the reef, we learn that her grandmother is gravely ill. As she is dying, she tells Moana to sail beyond the reef, find Maui, and have him re- restore the heart of Tefiti because they believe that this is why crops are dying off. This is why the fish are no longer being found in their ocean. Moana and her chicken Hey Hey set off, but her novice sailing skills can't handle the ocean and they are eventually wrecked and wash up on a shore where she finds Maui who has no interest in helping her restore the heart but relents once he is unable to shake Moana as she has been chosen by the ocean. They retrieve his lost hook from Tamatoa, a giant crab covered in treasure, and set off to restore the heart. Maui teaches Moana how to sail and be a wayfinder, and the two develop a strong bond. They arrive at Tefiti, but are instead attacked by Taka. Maui tells Moana to turn back, but she refuses. His hook becomes severely damaged, and Maui grows tired of Moana's stubbornness. He leaves Moana to finish the adventure on her own. She then has a vision of her grandmother that inspires her to press on as she approaches Tefiti, or Taka as it were. Maui returns to help her, and his hook is destroyed. He basically sacrifices the hook to help Moana. It turns out that Taka is in fact Tefiti. The demon Taka is what Tefiti became when her heart was taken. So Moana restores the heart and Tefiti returns. She makes Maui a new hook. Their island is saved and their people of Matanui become voyagers once again. Okay. From the start of the movie, I actually really liked this Tefiti story. I liked Olaf's delivery much more than yours. And I never complain about your plots. Go hire Josh (laughs) Gad. If you can afford him, go hire him. Um, I do agree with you. Um, I really like the legend of Tefiti. Here's the thing. I go back and forth because I don't need, I don't know that we needed to see it in flashback. I like the idea of the grandmother telling the story, but I feel like it would have made more of an impact if we met Maui later on. Yeah. Um, you know what I think it does well is it sets up Moana's grandmother, who's just a very funny character, but I think it also does take from that true Polynesian culture where your elders are passing down these stories. Um, So I I actually will disagree. I think that it's necessary to have it here, mostly because they flesh out backstory very quickly so that they can get you into... They get you into what is supposed to be Moana's story. I'm not even going to say it's Moana's story, but I'm going to say they get you to what's supposed to be Moana's story. Right, and I guess this is where, for me, it starts to get a little convoluted from the jump. Because, you know, do I think we should have just stayed locked on the grandmother telling this story the entire time? As much as I love her, no. You can't have a talking head in a film 
especially for a family movie, up for that long without losing people's interest. But I guess thinking of Maui in terms of being the sidekick, which is a term I'm sort of hesitant to use because he sort of does become an equal partner in this journey. Well, yes and no, because he dips in and out when he wants to. Right. I, I guess the major parallel here, and, you know, I, I don't want to do this so intentionally, but I, I do feel like it comes so naturally. There are just so many parallels with Aladdin. Um, to me, the genie's a sidekick. And when I think about Aladdin, we have the narration start the film. You know, they they launch into Arabian Nights. We know what the tale of the Cave of Wonders is. We see somebody fail with the Cave of Wonders, uh, which is what we see Maui do here when he steals the heart. He fails humanity. Um, and then he pops back up later in the movie. But we don't meet the genie yet. So there's still like that air of mystery. Um, so I wish we would have kept that reveal for Maui. Um but as far as the parallels go, the reason that I say I, I didn't want to force that is because Minnie Maui is animated by Eric Goldberg, who also did The Genie, which we're going to get into when we talk about the animation. Um, but I never realized how many callbacks there are to Aladdin. But that was one. This instance is where I wish there was more of that similarity, where we just held off just a little bit. What's interesting about Maui here? is that, at least at first glance, I kind of thought they were setting him up to be like Loki, where he's like sort of this trickster, and he's acting on his own behalf, and you don't know whether he's being self-righteous or whether he's being selfish, and the line gets blurred very early, you know, at least in his introduction. As the movie plays out, that's not at all what he is, but... I remember thinking when we met him the first time that perhaps he was going to be a Loki-esque character. And they say as much. They say that he's a trickster. They say, you know, in the grandmother's story that he's a shapeshifter. So I think that that would have, again, been more interesting if they held off on that a little bit and we didn't know if we could trust him or not, which we, we don't. I think they do a fairly good job of keeping that up throughout the rest of the film. But I guess... For me, what what they're setting up here is the whole theme of the movie, which is keeping this balance with nature and respecting nature. Wonderful message, all for it. But I feel like there should have been like a little bit more God-fearing in this legend. Yeah. Because we don't really see it come back around until the harvest. So... You know, we're going to spend so much time with Moana. I want to go to the water. I want to go in the water. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you totally lose this element of the story. And coming out of our first viewing when we saw this in theaters, I think that that was something. It, it didn't sit well with me then. It doesn't sit well with me now. But it took a couple of watches to realize, like, okay, there is really a reason where she has to leave this island. It's because it's failing. And if she doesn't go and do something about it, her people are going to die. I think that gets completely lost, though. 
it does for a multitude of reasons that I think we're going to flesh out as we sort of discuss this movie. But let's talk about Moana for a moment because you get introduced to her very fast as a toddler. Cutest thing in the world. Good natured. The connection with water is set up super early. I like that we get to experience that moment. We don't realize that the ocean is choosing her, but I like that we get to experience that moment. And I thought that it was a very strong introduction to a character that I was really looking forward to rooting for for the next hour and 45 minutes. Agreed. Um, Animation-wise... I think this is one of the cutest babies they've ever drawn. Um, I, I would say she's right up there with young Anna and Elsa. She's just adorable. Um, I love this sequence. I think it's beautiful. I love the color of those seashells. Uh, the water is just incredible, which, sorry, listeners, you're probably going to hear us say like a thousand times over the course of this episode because it, it's just so stunningly beautiful. And the way, you know, regardless of whether whether or not we know that the ocean is choosing Moana. You're right. We don't just yet. It is where the ocean starts to be set up as a character in and of itself. And I think they do a good job of, of just starting to sprinkle the breadcrumbs here because we can see that the ocean's being playful because she's so young. We don't know if this is real or a dream or what's going on, but they do a really good job of laying the foundation of why the ocean is choosing choosing her because she is good natured she helps the turtle out to sea um and i think that that was that was such a smart choice to do the scene like that because it does show that connection to the land the respect for nature and it's just such a cute innocent thing but it definitely speaks to the bigger picture for sure. Now, a lot of time passes. Really, they use music to really kind of push the timeline forward very quickly. Um, which more times than not would bother me. In this case, and we're going to talk about music in a little while. In this case, I sort of don't mind it because we are introduced to her so young. We need to get to the point where they say she's a teenager. They don't say the exact age, but we can assume she's 15, 16 years old. She's in that kind of atypical Disney princess age bracket. So call her 15, 16 years old. You have to get through what I would believe to be 12 to 13 years kind of quickly. I agree with that, but I actually think this is where the music fails the story. And I know there are a thousand Lin-Manuel fans that are screaming at me right now, but here's why. Without delving too much into the music, because we are going to treat that as its own entity later, the Where You Are sequence is important because I think it's good for the character but it's not good for the story because there are too many questions that are set up that don't necessarily get answered. Yes, we see the time jump. Yes, we see Moana start to develop. Uh, we sort of have her I want because she wants to be out on the ocean, although this is not her I want song, so to speak. Um, what we don't get is why she's taking over at such a young age. Not only in the sense of being a teenager, but her parents are still alive and well. 
And I also feel like culturally, the village elders are so respected. So why are they handing all of this over to a 16-year-old? For, or, or for argument's sake, a 16-year-old. Yeah, for <laughs> between this and Descendants, Disney all of a sudden has, like, they're now adverse to killing parents off, which they did for, you know, for 70 years. No problem doing that. Now we don't want to kill any parents off. We're just going to make you the king or the queen or the chief at the age of 15. And they're, and now mom and dad are going to go have their retirement home in Boca. It's just <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's weird that in the last couple of months, we've talked about films that are completely against the Disney grain. Descendants is exactly what I was thinking of because I'm watching and I'm like, where did we just see this recently? Because we literally just spoke about this exact criticism and that was it. It was that the Beast was taking over the Beast. Their uh, son ben. Was, yeah, Ben. Ben was taking over for the Beast when the Beast was still clearly fine to do the job himself. Again, good for character because she's problem solving. She's thinking on the fly. But I, I just needed a little bit more of an answer as to why she is inheriting the throne, so to speak. And then, you know, it also it, it sets up this weird conflict with her dad, which I know we need a conflict, but he is just so extreme. I mean, yeah. for people that live on an island, you have to know how to swim. And he won't even let her near the water. And I know yeah. maybe I'm being like too literal with this, but no, I was like, does not. she even know how to swim? Like she has to learn. This is, you know, you got to make your kid water safe. I mean, it seems like his big thing is go sailing, just not be on the reef. But the thing is this. I'm glad you brought this up because it, I, as I'm sitting here reading my notes, I'm like, did I jump so far ahead in the timeline? No, I didn't because they waste no time basically jumping into, I want to know, but no. Yes. Like the chief Tui is so stubborn and he won't listen to reason. Now, now I, okay, I am jumping ahead a little bit here. Your entire island is dying. You have no crops. You have no fish. You have no food. You have no food. You can't just go to the next town over. You are on an island. When you have no means of eating, the basic necessity of life, and you're making decisions that will affect an entire tribe, grandparents, children, He's stubborn to the point where it's actually infuriating. And I'm sorry, but I think this is a really weak reason not to go beyond the reef. I agree. I lost my my my, my boat capsized because I didn't know how to sail well enough. And my best friend drowned. So now nobody ever goes beyond the reef ever again. Never again. To honor my best friend who drowned, but I'd rather watch you all slowly starve. Here's the other issue with it for me. I have so much trouble relating to this scene because... You and I love the beach. We have vacationed in the Bahamas and the Caribbean. And I have so much trouble relating to Moana because if I lived in a place like this, I would never, ever want to leave it. I wouldn't need to see what was beyond the reef. I wouldn't need to be out on the water. I would be perfectly fine just parking it where I was at and watching a sunset. Um, and and that gets to a point where it's so distracting for me that I do lose the whole purpose of the scene. And the reason that her dad, we're not just establishing that he's strict. We're not just setting up this conflict. What we're really failing 
to to get out of this or what I personally am failing to get out of the scene and they do a good job of it is to make you feel landlocked and cut off from the rest of it. We are supposed to feel like Moana because what she's going to prove is that the oceans connect us and what her father wants is for them to, to divide these islands so that they are safe from, you know, whatever the curse of Tafiti is going to be. And this is where it would have been good to plant that one more time about what he's so afraid of. But I totally lose the fact that we are supposed to feel isolated and trapped on this island. So here's the thing. Every Disney princess has that yearning for more. Been there, done that, seen it a thousand times. It's just that each of them does it in their own way that's very unique. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. In the case of Moana, it both fails and works simultaneously, which is what makes it very frustrating. Where I give the character in the film credit is that she wants, you know, again, bought the t-shirt, did the meet and greet at Magic Kingdom. I want more. You know what I'm saying? Like, been there, done that. It is the Howard Ashman coined I want song. Yes. But what changes here and, and where it should really work is it's now not about her. It's about her people. It's it's out of necessity. The problem is that too many times before we got to that point, beyond the reef, beyond the reef, beyond the reef, beyond the reef, beyond the reef. No, 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 but no, but yes, but no, but beyond the no. By the time you get to the point where you literally need to go beyond the reef, you're tired of hearing it from her. Yes. You're tired of, but at the same time, you're tired of having her father be stubborn about it. They just, in my opinion, were not delicate enough. They didn't make it a, you know, uh, when you have an entire island, an entire tribe of people that are going to die, and that is not sympathetic enough, you've gone wrong somewhere. Yes. I, I agree, because by the time she does finally get out on the ocean, I'm so annoyed by her. I'm not rooting for her. I don't really even care what happens to her, because... It's not even so much of an I want. It's an I'm stubborn and I'm going. It's it's too much of a rebel. But it's too much of two stubborn characters that are not listening to each other. And, and I think, again, without getting too much into the music, but for the sake of story, I think if How Far I'll Go and Where You Are were reversed, it would have made that much of a difference because... How Far I'll Go is the I Want song where we should be introduced to character and where you are should be the story and that should be the plot point. And they are reversed with with where they're at in in the timeline. I also think How Far I'll Go is placed in the wrong spot in the timeline, but I don't agree with where you're putting it. But we will talk about all of that when we do discuss the music. Um, the grandmother, who everybody loves, uh, t- 
told us she's not making it to the end of the movie. Now, if you've seen a Disney movie before, you know that she's not going to make it. She doesn't have enough of a bond with either of her, her parents for you to care about them. So it comes on a li- little heavy-handed with her grandmother. But at the same time, you can kind of forgive that because in the Polynesian culture, as you stated earlier, and as we know from having been to Hawaii, you know, like, um, you know, a lot of people have been to Hawaii, but like really... You and I really did want to drink in that culture and get to learn about that culture. They are so about respecting elders and and listening to what the elders have to say and learning from them. I buy the fact that the bond is there, but from the moment you meet her, you're like, well, you're not going to make it. And then she basically tells you, I'm not making the end of this movie. I'm not making the end of the first act. (laughs) I know. Um to, to piggyback off of what you said, what I love about this bond with the grandma is that they do it on a micro and a macro scale. Micro in the sense of they they show how it relates to the culture. Macro as in I feel like this relationship is just so relatable because of that wink and a nudge and we're not going to tell your parents. Right. I think everybody has had that with a grandparent. If you're fortunate enough to have... To, to know your grandparents, I think there's always that, you know, your grandparents are going to let you get away with it and mom and dad are never going to have to know. And I love that they put that in here. With all that being said, the grandmother's wonderful, but I feel like we needed more of a reason for her to believe in the legend and for her to push Moana to, to go out on the water. Other than she believes in her granddaughter she knows that her granddaughter's got, you know, this spirit that is going to to carry her where she needs to go and that she's going to be restless here on the island if she doesn't go and figure this out. Um, I think we needed the grandmother to believe in it more than just the sense of, well, my granddaughter is going to be the chief, especially because we still don't know why she's doing it so young. We also needed more of a reason other than simply put, I know I'm going to die, so I have to instill this in her. Um, I wish they just would have tied it back because they're not a generation removed from when they stopped sailing. If that was something that, you know, if her grandmother arrived on the island as a child on a boat and Moana's father is making her bury that secret... I can understand why you want that to come out now before you pass. That would have been totally plausible. But it's thousands of years removed from when the Voyagers stopped. So there just wasn't enough of a why for the grandma to push her. Well, I mean, her grandmother was there when the ocean chose her. So she knows that she's special. Um, But the thing is... What the grandmother does do, and I I think it's... Here's the thing. The scene is timed properly, but it... it, Now, listen, there are a lot of people that are going to sit there and go, hey, Irish guy, it's not a... You can't tell me what Polynesian culture is all about. And you are completely justified in saying that. And I'm not going to argue with you. But the point that I want to make, and it's, it's a point of contention for me with this movie is when she revealed 
all of those boats that were hidden in that cave, that was the right time to do it. To your point, do it before you pass away. Right. Here's what does not make sense. And especially for us, because remember something, we took a red eye back because we had to be home for Thanksgiving. And within 72 hours of being on that, within 72 hours of leaving Honolulu, we are watching this movie after spending nearly two weeks in Hawaii, learning about Polynesian culture. And like we, when we would take a cab, like we would talk to the cab driver and listen to their story. Like we really, because they're so open about it. Like we were so invested in learning about what family meant to these people. Yeah. Or even, even just something like you bought the ukulele. I could have sat there and listened to that guy talk all day long. It was fascinating. They are so about their family and their culture and their history that my bone of contention, and it's never going to change, is that the chief for a culture that absorbs their history and cherishes their history, the fact that he is hiding their history seems almost like counterintuitive to the culture you're trying to represent. And then he's going to go burn it. Yeah. It's like burning books. It's like burning history books. Production even went so far. And I mean, they did multiple trips to the South Pacific and New Zealand to really do their homework. They even had a board on the story team of people from the island Doctors and anthropologists making sure that this film was culturally appropriate. Um, Down to a point where they were going to have a scene where Moana was frustrated. They they still do have this scene. But to show her frustration, she was going to be hitting coconuts with a a canoe paddle into the ocean. And the people on the board reacted and they said, no, we would never do that in the culture. We would never waste food we would never disrespect the island like that, uh, especially because they all share food. It's such a communal thing. So you're you're really, it, it's like damaging your neighbor's property. Right. And instead what they do is they have Moana break the sticks and throw them. And you do get that same angst from her. You get the same emotion. You get that same energy that you needed out of the scene. But it was corrected to make sure that it was appropriate. So... I agree with you. I find it hard to believe that when they took such care in that instance, they would be like, yeah, burn the boats in the other. It just doesn't make sense. And if I'm being honest with you, this is where the movie kind of really starts to fall apart for me. And we've seen it a few times. We've seen it quite a few times, actually. Um, And this is always the moment where it just falls apart because you have this with the father and then... The grandmother, she passes away, and Moana immediately, while everybody else is with her grandmother as she's dying... Her physical grandmother. Right, because then she comes back as the spirit, right? Um, As it's like as the big stingray. Stingray, stingray, whatever it was. Uh, She, you see her spirit swim out into the ocean where Moana's already there on her boat... And and I buy that. That's fine because her grandmother sends her off. I can buy that she would be there as opposed to being in the room with her grandmother. The problem here is that her grandmother tells her, 
this is what I want you to say. You're going to take Maui by the ear, and you're going to have him restore the heart of the ocean. Fine. The heart of Tafiti. Heart of the uh, ocean uh, was yeah, Titanic. Heart of, yeah, yeah, heart of Tafiti. Um, <laughs> but I am Moana of Matanui. She and I understand like she's trying to rehearse it, but it almost becomes a parody. Yes, and inevitably, I kind of felt like it made the ch- I made it made the character seem more childish and less endearing than she had been up to that point. Because until this point, I was really like I was in the Moana fan club, like I was all about her. But it's from this point to the end of the movie where I feel like the good that you did do setting her up, I feel like it mostly falls apart for the rest of the film. I would agree with that. Where I found her stubbornness annoying, it was totally negated when she was brave enough to let go of her grandmother and... You know, her grandmother pretty much tells her, I'm going to be the distraction. Now's your time to go. Uh, and even her mother helps her on her way and she packs yeah. for her. So, you know, she knows that she's got her mother's blessing to go do this. So I'm like, all right, I I can get on board with this. Where it starts to lose me, I'm honestly shocked that they showed the grandmother's death in this way. I mean, do they show the physical death? No, they're never going to. But in almost every single movie where we lose a parent and and you rarely... I, is this the first time they did a grand... No, Coco. Yeah, but Coco's a little different. I mean, and And Coco also, gone. the whole thing is, is... The point is to, you know, explore life and death and, and how to manage those feelings. But uh, my point is, it's always a cutaway, right? Like, Frozen, the ship goes down, but we don't see anything. We see the reaction to it. Uh, you, you know, any, any other... Cinderella, you know she loses her mother. Most of the time they're just talked about in the past tense. Yeah, or they're already gone. We never we never experience it. This was a cutaway from the physical grandmother, but still the way that they presented this in the moment, we've never seen anything like that before. I didn't mind it. I actually I I liked the symbolism of it personally. I did, and this is where the movie really lost me, but this is just, I have a lot of personal issues with this movie. I had lost my grandmother the year before, and it was still far too fresh because I was so broken up that she was not going to be at our wedding. This was not what I needed to see. I was already bummed enough we were back from our honeymoon. It was cold, so this just added insult to injury. But I was just surprised that they did actually go that deep. And... Back to your point, just as Moana has start to win us over again because she's being brave and she's figuring this out, then we start with the with the rehearse lines. Where it does work is in the context of when she's falling asleep and she's still reciting it. I think this is where they lose the culture a little bit is that these wayfinders really couldn't go to sleep otherwise they would they would completely lose their navigation because they needed the stars so if they had done this whole sequence at night where she's trying to keep herself awake then I'd be like okay I get this but because it's a montage of day night and she just keeps saying it 
this is the second time within, I don't know, maybe a half hour of screen time where I'm like, our main character is on my nerves and annoying. And I'm having a lot of trouble finding reasons to root for her. The other thing is when she gets shipwrecked, you're supposed to really feel bad for her, right? And then and it turns out that the ocean helped her find Maui. That was the whole point of getting shipwrecked. But because she's been so stubborn this whole time, like when she ventured out past the reef, you know she's not going to have an easy go of it. But I don't know, maybe I'm just naive. But upon first viewing, I was like, well, she's she's got to know what she's doing, right? She doesn't know a thing. She doesn't know a thing when it comes to wayfinding, when it comes to sailing. And I know that it pays off later because Maui teaches it to her and that's where the bond forms. But when you have a character that, to your point, is kind of getting on your nerves and you're supposed to fall in love with this character, when her stubbornness is kind of baseless because she has no idea what she's doing, it doesn't help to make her any more endearing. And... Her whole platform is the ocean chose me. But she doesn't know why or how. And she just keeps, ocean, help me. Ocean, help me. Ocean, exactly. help me. Exactly. There's nothing that she's done to earn the ocean choosing her other than helping this turtle. We needed to see something. And you you do see it a little bit on the island, the ingenuity as far as her, you know, fixing that one person's hut. But still, it's not enough of the groundwork where... I believe that the ocean would choose her or that she's earned the right to be this stubborn because she has some sort of life experience that applies here. So now we've got stubbornness meets ego. And now you're supposed to get your sidekick. There's no yin and yang with them. There there isn't. There isn't at all. And I'm just going to put this out there now. And I've said this on the show before. I think toilet humor is cheap. And it's mostly not entertaining. With rare exception, do I find toilet humor to be funny? And and if I'm being honest with you, half of the time that I thought it was funny, it was because it was something I saw when I was like seven or eight years old. And I understand that, you, you know, you are catering to children here. It's different when... Seven-year-old Sean in 1994 saw Dumb and Dumber for the first time, and I don't need to tell you what scene I'm talking about because you know what I'm talking about, versus Disney. Disney was always that step ahead. It was always that step up where they didn't have to rely on toilet humor to be funny, and they do it multiple times in this movie. I mean, there's no way. To, there's no nice way to say it. Maui urinates in her hand, okay? It, there's no nice way of saying it. And that's the most PC way I can put it. This is, and he thinks it's hilarious. This is not, none of this is funny. It's just not. Listeners, you cannot even begin to understand how much Sean hates the toilet humor. Like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I do agree with you, though. I do not feel as strongly as you do about it. What I miss is the, the wink and a nod to the parents watching. And instead we get toilet jokes, you know, like, okay, do they do it in Lion King, Pumbaa, not in front of the kid? Yeah, but they don't actually, you know, they show the gas, they show him clearing a room, but it's still certainly not as bad as anything they've done here. And they do it once or twice. And that's it. And as a kid and as an adult, I think we can all agree that we find Pumbaa funny. But here I'm missing that 
Toy Story, very subtly placed adult humor that's peppered in that is going to go right over the head of the kid, but we're going to think is hilarious. That's what Maui should have been, especially when you're getting the delivery from Dwayne Johnson, of all people. Come on. Yeah. Um, the introduction to him I thought was fine. I thought that his his like not his inability but his unwillingness to help her i thought okay this is certainly on brand for the character but the problem is and i i kind of alluded to it before the ocean you know he throws her in to the drink she is brought back he tries the ditcher the ocean brings her back she gets lost the ocean steers them in the right direction her constant comedic shortcomings in which she is bailed out by the ocean isn't working to develop this strong character. You've got a character that was chosen by the ocean because, to your point, she helped the turtle. I think that Moana cares about her people. She cares about her island. She cares about her family. But other than helping the turtles, she you're right. She hasn't done anything directly to connect her with the ocean other than I want to sail past the reef. That's not enough to be chosen by the ocean. You can fix a palm frond on a leak. Great. It makes you a wonderful contractor and it gives you a heart of gold. You're helping people on your island. Doesn't connect you to the to the ocean. You know, and and when you do set sail, you're not even all that good at it. You know, it's like all of these things, it's like up to this point, Moana hasn't learned anything. And she's not trying to. Because she's going, ocean, help me, and it does. This is not a this is not a character that's being developed to be that strong lead. I've said on the show multiple times, I don't like the movie Mulan. There, it just doesn't do it for me. But even I can recognize that Mulan is a is a strong character. I think Jasmine's a strong character. I think Ariel's a strong character. I think Belle, we just talked about her the last couple of weeks. Different iterations of Belle is a strong character. You're not doing anything here to develop a strong character. And that's a problem because the movie's called Moana. <laughs> the movie, it's she's in the title. She is the title of the movie. Right. And this is where you don't have that balance with Maui yet. And eventually, I mean, sure, she's going to win him over. But it's just such a clunky start to their relationship. What I do like is that her stubbornness sort of gets leveled at their first meeting because she's ready with this big speech that she's been practicing. And this yeah. is where it kind of delivers because as annoying as that speech is, she can't even get it out because he just keeps interrupting her. And that's where it's like, okay, you've kind of met your match because you think you're going to put him in his place and he's a demigod and he's got an ego as big as his hair and he doesn't want to hear this from you. Right. So, I like the clash. I like the constant butting of heads, but I feel like it sort of goes too far because if she wants his help and she needs to deliver him to to the she has to deliver him across the ocean. Right, to Tafiti. But she's also so out of her depth here. She needs to learn something from him. So it, it's just such a weird push and pull because she knows or she thinks she has to stay on top of him because she's the one that has to deliver him. But what it takes 
too long for her to realize is that she has to learn from him. And then, yes, you see that friendship start to form. But it's just such a knock against her character that she's not trying to work with him. For sure. And and, and, and the way that she almost speaks down to him. And it's like, yes. Moana, you don't know enough to speak down to the demigod. If you were a great sailor, if you were a great wayfinder, and you were able to do this on your own without going, Ocean, okay, let's push you in the right direction. Then all of, you know, her her ego, her stubbornness, I believe it. I can't believe it. That's a problem when it's your lead character. Right. And, you know, now they're presented with all of these obstacles. Yeah, let's this, talk about these. Yeah. So they allude to these obstacles in the very beginning when Maui steals the heart. We see them not fully fleshed out in the grandmother's flashback story. And now Maui and Moana are actually going to encounter them, starting with the Kokomora. I like how this sequence is animated. I like how the Kokomora sort of look like, uh, they remind me of like a claymation, actually. Or something in the style of like a fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, so visually, they look really cool. But why? Why coconuts? We've already seen coconuts on the island. I don't really understand where this sort of a villain came from. I mean, I get that they're after Maui. I get that everybody's pissed at Maui for what he did back in the day. Not just the people of the island, but, you know, the people that he, or or in this case, species that he heard along the way um so that's fine as far as the conflict goes but i just wish that there was a little bit more rooted in the culture as to why we get something that looks and behaves this way they look like something out of super mario brothers quite honestly right like i would have rather seen you know and they put the war paint on them and that's all well and good but i feel like i would have rather seen like a little tiki mask running around or something like that because you hear all these legends as as early on as full house they planted the thing with the menahunis and there was always like this this legend of the island that's what i wanted to see i wanted to see like some sort of you know and maui's a demigod so show me the gods that he's fearing show me what you're afraid of this just doesn't do it for me and the, the entire reason why they're there is because moana basically goes hi i'm here Here's the heart. Hi, I'm here. Come and get us. Right. And plot wise, it forces her and Maui to work together. But I feel like this is a case of like failing up against yeah. this attack. It's They didn't do anything to work together and earn it, really. Right. And then we have to get Maui's hook back. Right? Mm-hmm. And we meet the most useless character in this movie. Agreed. The only thing that I like about this sequence is that after they get up to the top of this mountain, he makes the joke about a human sacrifice. That just lands. It does. Because, and especially too, there is that second guess of like, all right, you got Moana out of this bad scrape with the Kokomora. And now, can we trust you? But, 
you know, it, it, to me, that's one of the funnier things that happens in the movie. It's certainly better than any of the toilet humor jokes that they threw in. But Tamatoa serves no purpose. No. He's a useless, useless character. It's basically just that's where the hook wound up. Song. That, that's it. That's it. Right. And like I was saying earlier, we've seen all of these creatures in the flashback in the flashback. So I'm thinking that there's going to be a much bigger purpose as to why these specific creatures were chosen to come back into the story now. Or like if if Tamatoa was the stuff of legends, then I could see him being here. But I, I would have rather seen Maui like wrestle a shark or something for this hook. So after we get through that skirmish that makes absolutely no sense, we have over time now built this relationship between Maui and Moana. So naturally we have to, we have to end it. You know, we, we, we need something to happen. Like Troy and Gabriella. They're just going to break up so they can get back together. So, We go to Tefiti with the heart. Maui has his hook back. Now he's got his magical powers. And Taka arrives. Maui tells Moana, turn around. She says no. And obviously they are defeated. And it's not pretty. And now... Their relationship is fractured. Much like Maui's hook. And Moana may as well have said, we're only here because it's a plot point. Yeah. They start arguing, and he says to her, we're in this position because you didn't listen. By the way, he's 100% right. Mm-hmm. And I think he's completely justified in, in being aggravated with her because she hasn't learned anything. Up to this point, we are three quarters of the way through the movie and your lead has learned nothing. Not not a blessed thing. And she goes, well, I'm only here because you stole the heart. That's the whole movie. It's the whole movie. I've never heard a film complain about the film. <laughs> I will say this. I do like the wayfinding montage that like really solidifies their friendship when she starts to get it. So in the in that regard, she did learn one thing. But for me, she picks a weird time to start doubting herself. I realize that Maui being upset with her and leaving her is going to definitely knock her down a peg. But now I feel like this mopey, I can't do this, is so out of character. Because she's never had self-doubt because she has nothing to doubt. She has no skill set to doubt. So to me, this is a really weird time to get down on herself. And it's out of character because she should just be like, well, I'm going to figure this out. Why? Because I always do. And not on the basis of having any way to figure it out, but just because I say I'm going to do it. This is where her stubbornness should have carried her through. And then we get, to me, one of the more egregious things in in this film, and this is probably just me being bitter and angry, we get this vision of her grandmother, which is, 
again, kind of odd because the entire time the ocean's been giving her the answer and now the ocean doesn't give her the answer. The ocean's pissed at her because it's not helping. So now her grandmother appears. And I remember thinking, and again, this is me being in my head and personal experience. I was like, this is sending a horrible message about death to a young audience because Moana gets to talk to her grandmother. And that's not really the case. And like I said, I was totally bitter at this point. You cannot hold that against the movie. I, I, can I just, I just, <laughs> okay, I, sorry you felt the way that you felt. And you have the right to grieve in your own way, but you can't, you can't take that out on a movie all right well personal feelings out of it they handled death in coco so beautifully yes and i'm i don't want to speak to what the cultural belief is because they they really didn't hit on anything i mean i like how they tied it to the tattoo and they the grandmother said as much that she wanted to come back as a manta ray and we get to see that and that's all well and good but what I don't like is that the answer just appears to Moana in front of her because we haven't had that the entire time. The only thing that's been like the wink and the nudge and the push is Minnie Maui because he's the conscience. Right. And I we haven't really talked about that yet. And I'm sure we're going to get more and more into that when we go through the music and we talk about your welcome. But not since Jiminy Cricket or the genie, have we had such an amazing conscience for a main character? And because we have that for Maui, we don't need it here. Agreed. I also think that that was just a, the, this whole ridiculous fracture in their relationship makes sense because of her stubbornness. They did it so that they could have this moment. They did it to have the Disney moment. They did it to have the Mufasa's talking to Simba moment. Right. You didn't need it. You didn't need it. Because never once has Moana done anything independently. This is not where, I mean, I guess you're, you, this is your opportunity to like push her in the right direction. Well, you're an hour too late for that. And then guess what happens? Maui comes back. Frankly, I wish, and you knew he was going to come back. You knew they were going to mend the fence, but I almost wish that she would have called him off. I wanted the angels in the outfield moment. I wanted the, now nah, we can't help win championships. You have to do that on your own. I wanted her to have that moment. I wanted her to step up and say, it's my turn. It's my time. It's my responsibility. None of it happens. So it renders the entire situation obsolete. Not only does Moana have to earn it, for herself, if we're going to stand here and call her a strong character, but the moment with Maui needs to be earned. Yeah. He doesn't come back just in the nick of time. He just comes back. And why? He has no reason to. Right. If Moana would have figured out how to get through Taka on her own, which she does. She knows that she's got to, that the Taka can't touch the water and she's got to get through. I wish she had gotten past Taka before Maui came back. Yes. And then, you know, maybe Moana's trying to restore the heart. Maybe she doesn't realize that it is, that it has to go to Taka just yet, but maybe she tries and fails and Maui has to be the one to put it in. It's almost like they had to just end the movie. It was like, okay, we, 
we got to get him back in there quick because this has got to be over. Because we wasted so much time on backstory that went nowhere, on conflicts that went nowhere, on stubbornness that meant nothing, on lessons that nobody learned. But now we, we got to get we got to finish this now. It's a crash landing right to the finish. What I do like, though, is that Taka is Tafiti. Yes, I loved it. That's where I don't know that I want to say the movie redeems itself for me, but I was like, yes, more of this, please. I, I wish this had you know, been alluded to, that it had been more of the legend. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, I love in and of itself that, you know, Tafiti takes the shape of the island laying down. I love that this feels like the full length version of the I love a you short, which mm -hmm. I think is one of the most brilliant things that Pixar's ever done. It that is probably my favorite short. Um so I love that we get the wink and the nod to that and that Tafiti, you know, is the shape of the island is the woman laying down and, you know, it is like a mother nature incarnate. So I, I love all of that. And I love that we get this dark and light balance between Taka and Tafiti. That whole thing is brilliant. I wish we would have spent more time there. For sure. Let's talk about the animation for a couple of minutes here. And honestly, I don't think we have to spend much time on it because this is just me personally. I think that this is some of the best animation that we've ever seen in the history of the Walt Disney Company. Um, I, I think it's visually stunning and I think it's an achievement. So I can only say so many times, oh, the animation's great. Oh, the animation's great. I'm going to do you all a favor and for the first time actually make a long story short and just say that I think it's, it's amongst the best, if not the best. Yeah, I mean, we've sat here and torn apart the plot and if you've been with us for a long time this we've won't surprise you no we've made mention about how much we dislike this movie although i will say that i've found more to appreciate the more that we have watched it and the animation is what will make me come back because it is just so beautiful am i going to sit down and watch this once a year no not necessarily but when I do want to revisit it, it will be because of this just amazing set design. The islands are so lush and gorgeous, and I think they did such a great job of capturing that. And the water just blows my mind every single time. It looks beautiful, and they even, the animators went e even so far as to develop a program and an algorithm so that they could simulate the water because, you know, in the past, this has all been done hand-drawn and the water is usually a special effect. They had to figure out a way because it's a character now to actually animate it. And I think they knocked that out of the park. I Absolutely. And I think the one thing that stuck with me from the moment we started this film for the first time, again, 72 hours removed from being on the island this is what the water in Hawaii looks like. They nailed the water. They nailed the color. They nailed just the natural beauty that is Hawaii. Because I can show you pictures of Hawaii. I can show you photo. You know, I can show you video. But you don't understand the beauty of Hawaii unless you've actually been there. And everybody, you know, listen, I know it's it's far from, far from affordable and, and obtainable. It's a once-in-a-lifetime trip. But I, it's something that should be seen. And I remember thinking to myself, the movie really only does one thing right. That's the one thing. It's, it's just the animation. Agreed. 
let's talk about the cast here before we move on to the music. Starting with uh, Ali'i Cravalo, Moana. I like the actress. I don't like the character. I, I think she's wildly talented. Um, I liked her when they did The Little Mermaid live on TV. I think she's got a phenomenal singing voice. I think she is she as a person is just so damn endearing that like it like I feel like I'm taking a pop shot at her by saying I don't like this character, but it has nothing to do with her and everything to do with I think that this was just a whiny character that never learned anything. I agree and it's almost unfair to Ali E. Cravalho because, you know, I, I think it needs to be said our issues with Moana have nothing to do with her. They found her in an open casting call. They wanted to cast this film with all Polynesian voice actors. And it was their last day of doing casting in Hawaii. And the casting director remembered Ali and they brought her back in to, to read and do the song. And they just kind of knew at that point at that point that they had found their Moana. Um, I think she's very talented. I agree with you. I think she was the best part of the little mermaid live. Um, and for her first professional acting gig, like she was a singer, she did all local stuff, but for her first professional gig, I think she was incredible. And, you know, she certainly grounds the film, but, I I feel bad that her first time out was in this character. Yeah, that, and, that and has, listen, and I know that our our opinion is not the popular opinion. No, because everybody loves Moana, but for me, I don't think she's endearing. I don't think she's very relatable, and for the most part, she just annoys me. I hate saying that, but she does. I mean, I mentioned before there there are just such a list of these strong Disney princesses or strong female leads, you know, whether it be Tiana or Merida or Jasmine or Belle or Ariel, there's just something about Moana. Listen, they're all headstrong, but they have somewhere in there. They, they look in the mirror and they learn something. And some of them are stubborn to a fault but they face the music. I, I feel like we never get there with this character. And what we don't get, and I, I can't believe we didn't articulate this because we've said it almost every other way, but almost every single episode at this point, this is where we're talking about what an amazing story arc the character had. We don't have a story arc for her. No. It, it doesn't land. What I will say, we talked about animation. Uh, we didn't talk about the character design. Her hair is incredible. Oh, yeah, it's great. Aside from the movement of the water, that's the other thing that blows me away every single time. I love the aesthetic of the, of this character, but that's as far as it goes. I just I can't get on board with her, and I wish I could. The character with the arc is Maui. Yes. Played by Dwayne Johnson. He was great. And honestly, I kind of wish the movie had been called Maui because I think Maui does more in this movie than Moana does. I think he has an arc. I think he learns about himself. I think he learns to not be so selfish. You see character growth from him. You see him start one way and finish a different way, and it's for the better. He's not a linear character. 
and 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 so at first when they started to develop this film with uh uh Clement Muskers who we know from Princess and the Frog and from Little Mermaid when they started to develop they, they this they can't miss <laughs> they can't well I guess they well, can they started developing this movie about Maui and shifted it to Moana frankly it feels like a movie that was written about Maui it it just does it. Uh, he does more in the movie than anybody else. Right. That only piece that you're missing for him is why he decided to go back and help her. And if the movie was centrally focused on him, we would have seen that play out. I kind of feel like he went back because, you know, we have to have a happy ending and they're going to make up. It's Disney. So he went back. You need the why. It, it yes. just does the entire story a disservice. We can't just assume the why. Right. I wish they had done it you know, like, like Coco. The movie is named Coco, but Coco's not our main character. Right. So if they had called the movie Moana and focused on Maui, I think it just would have been so much stronger. I totally agree. But as far as as far as casting goes, I mean, I know that they said The Rock was the only one that quote-unquote auditioned. You mean to tell me that this was written for, some, for someone else other than The Rock? He is Maui. Yeah. They literally just animated The Rock. That's that's all they did. And they gave him long hair again. It's perfect, though. It It is so perfect. Uh, and I just love the tattoos. I love how they drew him. I love, you know, that he's muscular like The Rock. And then, you know, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek. I think The Rock was, you know, in on the joke of they've got these tattoos bouncing all over the place and they're going to make him flex and play with the tattoos. But I, I just thought that that was such a brilliant choice in the animation to yeah. give him these stories. And and it's such a, a great representation of the culture. Right, because the tattoos mean so much to them. And Minnie Maui is just a lot of fun. Like you said, he's this great conscience. What I love, too, about Minnie Maui... Um, is that you know we mentioned I mentioned before that uh, Eric Goldberg drew him. It's a two D character, and it's something that you sort of take for granted because of the movement. But they put a two D character on a three D character. It's so brilliant. And you got a people's eyebrow. So if you're a wrestling <laughs> fan like I was back in the mid '90s, you got a people's eyebrow, and that was a lot of fun to see. Rachel House plays Tala. Moana's grandmother, second best character in the movie. For sure. I think she's funny. I love her snark in spite of the fact that she tells us I'm not going to make it past the first act. Uh, It doesn't make her any less endearing. She's just a lot of fun. I also love the balance of this wise old woman balanced out with she even owns it she says i'm the village kook i I love how you know she lets her guard down and lets moana see this silly side of her and i love how they dance together i think that's so beautiful that's something we didn't talk about in the animation either is these amazing dance sequences and how much they just got this beautiful movement from the characters tamora morrison plays tui moana's father who is the chief it's nothing against the actor, but I just this character is just so dislikable for me that it it could have been anybody. N- nothing against him. It could have been anybody. No, and as far as the character goes, they didn't develop him properly. We get this tragic story from when he was younger, but 
it's it's just still not enough for somebody that loses a parent in this film. We we don't get anything from him, you know, like even in the way that he would grieve, we would have seen more development from this character and we just don't get it. And then Nicole Scherzinger plays Moana's mother um, for like her three lines. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, okay. I would say she was cast more for the, the lines that she sings because she has a beautiful voice. Yeah, but she does. She did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, she was fine. She was fine. I do like that the mother eventually... I don't think that she ever didn't support Moana. I think she just kind of had to keep quiet and... She was buying not, her time. Yeah, and, and not, going, not go against her husband. But I do like the gesture of when she packed some food for her. Let's talk about the music here because the music for a lot of people is what the slam dunk home run of this movie is. And if you didn't like Sean and Jackie for the first hour, you're really not going (laughs) to like us now. Um, Where you are, I think that this is a nice way to introduce the cast. I said it before, I, I appreciate how you speed up time and that you fill in gaps in the story. I thought that this was a this was a fine open to this film and I did actually enjoy this song quite a bit. I agree. This is one of the few songs that I think is really catchy. I do like it, but where it fails for me is that it's good for the character and not the story and you need a little bit more story at this point um I love Lin-Manuel I'm fully converted I was not a fan of his I I just didn't get it until I saw Hamilton and now I appreciate how brilliant he is um I enjoyed him a lot in Mary Poppins Return it took a while but he won me over not here I think he's a brilliant artist I really do but he does not have the same story sense that Howard Ashman did. And we've just spent the past couple of weeks, you know, we reviewed Howard the documentary, uh, which if you haven't seen it on Disney Plus, please go do yourself a favor. We talked for two weeks in a row about Beauty and the Beast, and we have been singing his praises for like the past month. So maybe just coming fresh off of that, I'm a little biased, but I've always thought he's brilliant. But what we have said so much about him recently is that every song he wrote was in service of the story. Anything he did was in service of the story. And that's why he not only gets the music credit, he gets executive producer credit on Beauty and the Beast. I don't think that anything Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote here pushes the story forward. This song is catchy, but we're losing a lot of the groundwork we need to set up. Look, If you look at the history of the Walt Disney Company, you have the Sherman Brothers, you had, you know, Mencken and Ashman, Tim Rice, Elton John, Phil Collins. The Lopez's. The Lopez's. I'm sorry, but but when you compare this soundtrack in, you know... In, to- in total, when you compare this soundtrack to a lot of those other soundtracks, it it's not it's not, forget being better than I don't think it's as good. You that's it. You can't compare them. You just can't. And I know that that's going to drive some people crazy because they are tired of hearing "Let It Go." You're tired of hearing "Let It Go" now, but you forget how much you liked it the first time you heard it. 
you know, it's funny how that happens, right? Um, I can't say the same for how far I'll go. Yeah, here's where we're going to get real unpopular. We rhyme island with island. Uh. I think this song is repetitive. I think in all it's overrated. We're trying to have this huge character moment that is followed by a comedy of errors proving how in over her head she truly is. This song comes five minutes too early. If you would have put this five or ten minutes further along into the movie, perhaps this is what... Perhaps she sings this when she loses her grandmother. I think the song is probably... It's better, but... As I said, her comedy of errors and the constantly getting fall, you know, the constantly getting knocked down and not having to figure her way out of things because it's ocean. Okay. Maui. Okay. Grandmother. Okay. Ocean again. Okay. I'm sorry, but this song does nothing for me. I don't think it does anything for the character. I think of all of this, this when people sit there and go, let it go. I go, how far I'll go. Yeah, because Let It Go serves character and story. It's a great moment for both. You don't get that here. We get the story because it is pushing forward. She decides to leave. But as far as character goes, this is a pathetic excuse of an I want song. It's not even an I want song because she's not talking about a goal. She's just talking about. It is the whole character. I'm going to roll the dice and see what happens and hope it works out for the best. If you think about some of the character moments, you know, the leading lady songs. Part of your world. I want to be where the people are. I want to get out of the ocean. Belle, I want more than this provincial life. You could make the argument that she's not specific about her goal. But she's specific enough about getting out of the situation and there's enough groundwork that she doesn't fit in in her town where you believe why she wants this. We still don't have enough information on Moana to understand why she just wants to go over the reef. And, and I'm, that's the other thing. We know it's to help her people. I don't know that you want to help your people. I, want, I, I think you want to prove that you're right. That's the only thing that I believe out of this whole thing. You know, you mentioned those two songs before. I'll give you almost there. I'll give you uh I'll give you Speechless, the the new song that they gave Jasmine in the live action remake of Aladdin because she didn't have an I want song and they righted that wrong. Okay? I won't say I'm in love from Hercules. You Great could example. So many Reflection. I know you don't love Mulan, but you even got to give her that one. So many Great songs from our leading ladies. In Hunchback, you get it. There's just so many of them that you go, my God, like this is the moment. And it crashes and burns. And and perhaps it wouldn't have crashed and burned so hard if they would have done something with the character for the next hour and 15 minutes. So is that an indictment of the song or the story? I think it's an indictment of both, quite honestly. We know the way is the next song. And honestly, I think this is the best song in the movie. I think it's sound, you know, in, in terms of having an authentic sound, an authentic feel, 
I think this one is the most authentic. I love the message behind it. This is the best song in the movie. This is such a great sequence. I love how they have these authentic canoes, and I love all of the drawings on the sails. I think as far as the animation goes, they knock this out of the park. Uh, I do love how it works in harmony with the song. This is a brilliant sequence. And then they kill it because she comes out of the cave screaming, We are Voyagers! Uh-huh. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you go first. See, I'm gonna disagree with you on We Know the Way. I think You're Welcome is the best song. And I think that what they did here is probably one of the best things they've ever done in animation in the Disney canon. It's no friend like me, but as far as a character introduction song goes, because we really don't know anything about Maui at this point other than what we've seen in the flashback and him stealing the heart. We don't like him at that point, but by the end of this song, even though he locks her in a cage, I mean, that makes me like him even more. Uh, But it's really hard not to just fall in love with Maui in an instant, even though most of what he's saying is so egotistical. The Rock's delivery is perfect. I love the movement, how he's like bouncing around and his hair's bouncing. And uh, I just love the tattoos. I thought that that was so clever. I I love everything about it. So what I basically just heard was you said a lot of nice things about animation and a few nice things about the song. This song is subpar at best. If it's not, if The Rock isn't singing it, I don't care about this song. I'll be honest with you. I I think that this is another song that I I only smile because I'm listening to the guy that when I was like 12 years old was singing to me about taking you to the Smackdown Hotel (laughs) is now singing in a Disney song. If it's not that, I don't care. That's interesting. I didn't even realize as I was saying it, I'm talking about really everything but the music itself. But I do love the sequence that much. I love it as a whole. Shiny. This is, okay, I think we're going to agree here. This is probably the worst song in the history of any Disney film. Actually, I'm going to disagree. Second worst? (laughs) Um, No, I'm not going to say it's a great song by any stretch of the imagination. I think the melody is wasted on bad lyrics because when I do watch this, this is the hook that gets stuck in my head. I think the lyrics are bad, but I really like the rhythm. And, you know, you want to talk about the the toilet humor. Not not that it's that bad, but one of the lyrics is, Maui, I'm about to kick your hiney. I don't know if you caught that. I did. It's stupid. It is. And, and I'm like, th- this is the Pulitzer Prize winning Lin-Manuel. We're, we're reduced to, I'm about to kick your hiney, really? I mean, I know it's a kid's movie, but that's even insulting just to write it off and saying, oh, the kids will think that's funny. Stop calling Lin-Manuel Miranda the next Freddie Mercury, because it's not true. I didn't say that. I'm talking about the... I'm talking about the public in general. We... (laughs) It was funny. I was at my parents over the weekend, and uh, they had just done... 
the uh, because Stephen Sondheim passed and they did the tribute for him in Times Square. And the news anchor introduced Lin-Manuel as iconic Broadway star. And my dad, like it just it was just so funny. I was like, get out of my head, man. He was like, what did he do to be considered an icon? And as much as I love Lin-Manuel, I was thinking about it. And I was like, all right, you had In the Heights, you had Hamilton. But I would hardly call you a Broadway icon at that point. Because, okay, you've had you've had the hits on Broadway. You have the hit with, with Moana, regardless of what we think about it. But everybody holds him in such high regard. And it's like you've done maybe three or four things. I don't think we have reached iconic status. I also think the word iconic is just becoming over very much overused at this point. But like when you put him up against Stephen Sondheim, no, we're not quite there yet. Final thoughts? You know, it's funny. I just had to do a double takedown at my notes because I was like, wait a second. That was the last song already. Your last song technically comes like mid-movie because the rest you get are reprises. Yep. You get the reprise of How Far I'll Go. Multiple times. And you get the reprise of We Know the Way. Where You Are. Is it We Know the Way or is it Where You Are? Or is it like a an amalgamation I of both? I think they do everything. Yeah, I, I think they hit you with everything one more time. Um, but that's a, that's a good point. I, I, I didn't even dawn on that that... Halfway through the movie, your songs are over. I mean, this is a musical. Half. Yeah. It's a music, yeah. So final thoughts. On paper, we should have just immediately fallen in love with this movie. We had just come back from Hawaii. You know, there's a great cast. It looks beautiful in the trailer. Everything is there. And it... I just don't connect with it. That's my biggest issue. Um, I think a lot of that comes from not being able to connect to the main character. I'll overlook finding whether or not I find her relatable. You know, I mean, for crying out loud, we live on an island. She should have been the most relatable thing to me. But not the same kind of an island. Not the same kind of for island. The lo- Don't you ever confuse <laughs> Nassau and Suffolk County with with the Pacific region ever again. No, 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 no. I'm not. But in the sense of always being surrounded by water, being drawn to the water. I mean, we love the beach. We're there every single weekend over the summer, even in the off seasons. I'll get there as often as I can. When we sing how far I go, it means how much traffic are we getting stuck on a Long Island Expressway? Okay, well, two very different islands, so obviously I'm not going to relate to her on that level. But my point is, as far as being drawn to the water, I can relate to that. And yet I relate more to Ariel who wants to get out of the water and onto land than Moana who wants to expand her horizons and be on the water. So without having that link to the main character, it makes it very hard to get on board with the rest. That aside, if the story was stronger, it should be enough to latch onto and carry you through the rest of it. And it's just not. And I hate saying that because, you know, as far as the message that they're trying to send with Mana and 
balancing nature and energy and taking care of the earth, that's a wonderful message. And I hope that that is what people are taking away from this movie. I'm not glossing over that because I think it is so important, but I just feel like there was a much better way of telling this story and, and and I don't mean anything having to do with Tafiti either. I think that that was, that was all great. It's just your in-between part. It's like your entire act two. If we had gone about that in a different way and we had channeled the nature metaphor through there a little bit more, it would have been so much better. And instead we get toilet humor and villains that aren't really even villains. They're, I mean, like we said, they're obstacles and nothing more. And they they don't move the story forwards or backwards. So there's hardly any conflict. Uh, and, and Maui's really the only likable character in it. And unfortunately, he's not just, in, he's just not enough to carry the story. Um, and I, I truly hate saying this because I know that they took such painstaking care to make sure that they represented the culture the right way and they told a story that honored the people living in these islands and and honored the history of these islands um but I, I just can't connect with it, which is crazy to me because it's like you talk to anybody in Hawaii and you have an instant connection just because they're so passionate about it. I didn't feel that passion. And again, that, that goes back to the main character. Um, so to sum up my final thoughts, I don't dislike this movie as much as I did the first time we saw it, which was a huge disappointment because, like I said, I thought it was just tailor made for us and it wasn't. I was ready to write it off after that first viewing, but after watching it a couple more times for the sake of this show, I found a little bit more to enjoy about it, albeit not much, but when I do decide to revisit it, I I will because the animation redeems it. Coming off the heels of spending two weeks in this culture, not you know not not in the same way that that they portray it in the film but certainly being on that side of the globe and with people who are being represented in this film um th- this just does this isn't even on the same level i know that they're that they're trying to represent them and i give them credit for wanting to represent a demographic that had not yet been represented in a disney film um but I, it's Again, people are going to sit there and say, you don't have the right to say that. Okay, maybe I don't, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I don't think that it's a fair representation at all times. I, I don't think that it recognizes the culture at all times. I mean, some things yes, some things no. Um, the bond with the elders, yeah. Tattoos, yeah. Respecting the land, sure. But there's just too many things here that miss. Um, I think the music is completely overrated. And, you know, just to your point, and I and I just want to say this and be done with it because I'm going to be repeating myself any further than that. Your title character is just not somebody that I am putting on the same 
there, she's not in the same category as so many other fantastic leading Disney ladies, and it's just because of her tripping over herself and getting lucky. And tri- it's one thing when Jack Sparrow does it because it's done comedically, but at the same time, he's always thinking yes. and he's always got a leg up. This is I just tripped and fell into the solution. And to me, I don't find that to be a strong character. I just think that's a very lucky character. Um, But, you know, at the same time, it's probably the best animation we've ever seen in a Disney film. So you could take that for what it's worth. But we watched this so that we could review it for the show. If I'm being honest with you, I'm probably never going to watch this movie again. I think I've seen this movie now six or seven times. And if six or seven times it's not it's not jiving with me, there's no reason for me personally to go back and revisit it. But we're interested in hearing from you and knowing what you have to say about Moana. And you can send the hate mail over to <laughs> Monoreal Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can email us. This is a very creative and very lengthy hate mail over at monorealradio at gmail.com. And I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of it. News of the week and the contest winner are coming up. But first, a quick break. Hey, everyone. This is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney. And when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money, but she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free, so all my vacations in the future are gonna be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it, I give her some information in regards to what I wanna do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks guys, talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can contact me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z is in zebra, O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News of the Week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you have an event coming up, perhaps a wedding or a seminar or a convention, you need Save the Dates invitations, thank you cards, table numbers. Kelly has you covered, plus listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONORAIL10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything she has to offer because, I mean, that's that's just one thing that she does. She does so many other things. And, I mean, whether it's home decor or perhaps branding, just go check it out online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. We have a new show coming to Nat Geo. It is debuting on December 7th at 10 p.m. It is called 
called to the wild. And we've kind of been waiting to talk about this because we have mentioned on the show before that you had a show that you had worked on that was coming out soon, but we really couldn't talk much about it. Surprise! Now we can talk about it. Yes, it's official. It's my news of the week. Uh, I'm super excited about this. Um, I I just loved the premise of the show. Um, when I found out I was going to be working on it, they told me it was going to be a survivalist show similar to Alone, but people are going out with man's best friend. They're taking their pups with them. Uh, so I was totally sold. And, you know, finding out it was for Nat Geo and that I got to work like six degrees of separation away from Disney. I was just super excited. This has been a really long time coming because we started working on this in September of 2020. Uh, and we worked on it until about April. Uh, we got extended slightly longer than we were supposed to. Uh, but it was fine because I loved the show so much and I was happy to keep working on it. But um, it's it, it's crazy that we started it more than a year ago and it's only coming out now and I've just been dying to share it with everyone. Um, so yeah, it's going to be December 7th at 10 o'clock. Uh, I actually just found out today that they are starting with an episode called battle buddies, which was my episode and I got to produce the whole thing. Um, so please watch. <laughs> I would. I doubt we'll get a season two. I would love one, but please watch, even though they totally buried our time slot. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the first episode at 10 o'clock, and then they're airing the second one at 2 a.m., as I understand it now, based on what we've seen from the schedule. Uh, so they weren't supposed to release everything all at once. I think it was going to be episodic weekly and then eventually go to the streamer. Um, which is for me, that's the more exciting thing is that I'm going to have a show on Disney plus eventually. Uh, but yeah, for now, I think they're just spitting all out there late at night. I would imagine though, that that's something that's not completely outside the realm in this post COVID world, because obviously your show was, was pushed for a multitude of reasons, but a lot of shows just their production halted because of the pandemic and some never got finished and they're getting released half done and some are trying to pick up where they left off. I would imagine that it's going to be a very hectic release schedule, at least for the next six months to a year. Well, that's the funny thing. When we first got it, they gave us such a tight deadline because they were desperate for content. We were supposed to spit this show out in like four months or something crazy. And it, it ended up being double that because, you know, it was a learning experience for you. We produced the entire thing at home remotely. I thankfully work with such amazing people that we were able to get this all done. But there was one day when you came home and you were like, I don't understand how you do this when you work every single day. And then the network sends you notes and you have to essentially knock it all down and build it back up again. And that's what have, we did for months. I wouldn't have the patience. I wouldn't have the patience for it. Takes a special person and I'm not that. But let's talk about a special person while we're at it. Cause we had a contest that we ran for the last two weeks 
for a really, really cool Disney 50 prize pack. Uh, you guys can go back and listen. We did take a trip down to Walt Disney World. Uh, we got to celebrate what was called Disney 50. Um, <laughs> they had new floor mats. Yay. Um, and you can go back and listen to that if you have the talk about having the patience and the energy and the stamina to sit through that four hour and 15 minute conversation. But we did come back with a really great prize pack and we thank everybody who entered to win. And our winner is Nicole Antonetta. Thank you so much for everybody that entered. Nicole, we will be in touch to get your shipping information and get that prize pack sent out to you. We will have more contests coming up to enter and to keep an eye out so that you don't miss your opportunity to win our next Monorail Radio prize pack, be sure to be checking out that social media. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. We're also on TikTok as well at Monorail Radio, but the contests are typically done on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. I gave you all that social media. The email address is monorailradio at gmail.com. And for links to everything, it is online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monorail Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.